Hi, and welcome to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly radio program about finance, money, and investing on Radio Northern Beaches and broadcast nationally on the community radio network around Australia. I'm your host, Ray Trevison from OTG Capital, and today we're welcoming to the microphone Kirk Wilson from the Institute of Financial Professionals Australia. Now, I'm going to say this a number of times, Kirk, because you weren't if part uh, the last time we spoke, um, you were someone else. You were actually Tax and Superannuation Australia, weren't you? Yes, that's correct. IFPA represents, what, about 4,000 tax agents and, and similar kind of taxation professionals around the country, don't you? That's right. Okay, so uh, just for the listeners' benefit, the last time we spoke, uh, we weren't national, and so uh, you came on to our show, Dollars and Making Sense, and we were talking about capital gains tax on the family home, if I remember correctly. Now, I often thought that you know CGT would be one of those very boring things, but I've got to tell you, we got some great reaction, and a lot of people were very interested, and we're going to be talking capital gains tax again today, but in a slightly different vent. But can you give the listeners a little bit of background of your, uh, I guess, your subject matter expertise, your your experience in this field? Primarily been CGT from the start, Ray. I started in tax. I finished a degree in 1997. It was about the year that Mr. Keddin introduced all the big tax changes, capital gains tax, fringe benefits tax, imputation. And so I ended up in the capital gains tax stream, more or less, for most of that time. And via working in the tax office in a technical area and then um, at, in a, a big tax publishing company and, and now with IPPA. So um, it, it's, it's been quite extensive. It's been quite a journey and, and the history's always been interesting too. Wonderful. So I guess, listeners, it's always nice that you know that somebody at the uh, at one of these microphones actually knows what they're talking about. And thankfully, in this instance, it's Kirk rather than myself, because it's not that I fall asleep with tax. I never was all that great at accounting. It's just really didn't hold my interest, I've got to say. I like going out and making money rather than having it taken away from me by the, the, the tax man, I guess. So look, today, we want... Uh, it's just something at this point... Uh, even the best of tax experts can get bamboozled by the complexity of things. So it's always something to bear in mind that, you know, it's a matter that always needs to be looked at properly. Absolutely certain in that. And I guess given that we have so many tax agents around Australia and you represent that next tier outside of the big counting firms, I think what you are covering really uh, is the mainstay of, of the accounting practices out there that are out there servicing, I think, the vast majority of everyday small businesses and mum and dad type uh, investors and, and small business operators. I think that'd be a fair comment, wouldn't it? Yes, correct. Um, in terms of the inquiries we get at IPPA and in terms of tax office statistics, capital gains tax comes in pretty high amongst the inquiries. You know, it's a, a big chunk of the percentage of inquiries, both at the tax office office and professional bodies like us and presumably tax firms as well. Yeah, I, I want to maybe talk a little bit a bit later on if we've got time on one of those, given some recent changes that the government of the day have brought in. But today we are talking about small business capital gains tax concessions. Now, doing some background reading here, uh, and given the fact that I am a small business owner myself, you know, with my fund and financial services license that I operate, I'm, I'm always I guess it's a curiosity to me that there are a lot of these benefits that are available in concessions. Do you think, widely speaking, uh, Kirk, that, that most small business operators are even aware that these concessions are there and available to them? Look, I, I, I would, I don't have the, the statistics, but I would suspect so, because it's a bit of a prompt or incentive to get into small business too, that you can get these wonderful concessions at the end of the day, which are great for retirement as well. And um 
But of course, the issue is they think they know something about them, but they're complete. You know, when you get to the nitty gritty, it's a, it's a bit more difficult to um, understand them. So, hence the advice, the need for a professional advisor is paramount. And I think it bears uh, uh, repeating again, and we say it uh, during the middle of the show. You know, the disclaimer that you know we are giving general advice only. And so, for the listeners out there that have inquiries in this space, obviously you can go and talk to IFPA. You've got an inquiry line, and I would direct listeners to the website ifpa.com.au. But I think in general, what we're trying to do here at Dollars Making Sense is education. And so if something piques your interest, please research it more. So first of all, what I wanted to do is cover off eligibility. So when people think about small business, I think it's important to set some context and criteria there. So, so Kirk, what does the tax office consider a small business when it comes to these concessions? Well, the test is you, who are the taxpayer who either runs the business or owns the asset that's used in the business, you've got to be regarded as a small taxpayer. And the the test is essentially, there's one of two tests. Your turnover, you know, your business turnover has got to be less than $2 million, or it's an alternative, Your what they call your maximum net asset value, the, the totality of your assets, their net value is less than $6 million, subject to a carve-out for a lot of private assets like your home or your super fund insurance policies. But that's the broad general eligibility requirement, the threshold one, what they call the basic threshold one. There is the other very important secondary test, which is the asset that's generating this capital gain is got to be what they call a, an active asset. Namely, it's one that's used or been held ready for use in a business and for the requisite holding period, you know, which is generally, which is very concessionally, not for the entire time that you've owned the asset, but for half the time that you've owned it, or if you've owned it for more than 15 years, seven and a half years. So there's those two components. The asset itself must be used in a business for the required period of time, and you, the taxpayer who either owns the business or owns the asset that's used in in the business has um, got to meet these threshold requirements to measure that you are small, namely a turnover of less than $2 million or your totality of your value of your net assets subject to exclusion for private assets is less than $6 million at the requisite time in the income year, essentially. Okay. Can you maybe, uh, I guess a I, I, little bit of confusion here on my part, can you, um, here in the step two on the uh, ATO website, they talk about an active asset test. What does that mean? That's what I was just getting at a moment ago, Ray. The idea that I can anybody can have a capital gain, a CGT asset, just about everything is a CGT asset. But for it to be an active asset, namely that it can qualify for these concessions, it's got to be used in a business or held ready for use in a business. Okay. That's part one. And the second part of it, it's got to be used or held ready for use in that business for the required testing or holding period, which is not the entire time that you own the asset. It can be if you've owned the asset for more than 15 years, then it only has to have been used in that for that business purpose for a minimum of seven and a half years. The classic case is, okay. for example, the farmer who's owned land for 20, 30 years, if he's only actively farmed it and used the land for 10 years and for the remaining 10, 20 years, he may have adjusted the property or done nothing, that asset qualifies for the small business concessions, assuming he meets those threshold requirements we discussed before, merely by the fact that he used it for the relevant seven and a half year period as a minimum in the business. What he did with it thereafter is not relevant. 
So when you're talking about seven and a half years, are there other time considerations that people need to be aware of? If you've owned the asset for less than 15 years, then you've got to use it, then you must have used it as an active asset for at least half the period you've owned it. So if you've owned the asset for eight years, then if you've used it in a business or for business purposes for four years, that will get you over the line. Wonderful. So broadly speaking, speaking, subject broadly speaking, okay. Subject to all the little technicalities that sit around all tax issues. Again, reading the background notes, it also refers to an ability to contribute amounts to a super fund from the small business 15-year exemption. Can you explain a little bit about that as well? Basically, Ray, the, the gain you make from applying there's a whole range of the concessions. Once you've got in the gate, there's up to four concessions you can use, or you can use them in conjunction with each other. The, right. The gains that you've used the, what they call the retirement exemption for, or the 15-year exemption, they are, and this is where you just have to excuse me for a second, because superannuation is not my strength, and I always tend to get the language wrong, but if <laughs> they are considered to be, quote, unquote, super contributions arising from the capital proceeds or gains that qualify for the 15-year exemption or the retirement ex- exemption are excluded from non-concessional contributions caps up to a lifetime limit of some threshold of what 1.65 for this year. In other words, these gains, you can once you've made them and, and you've got them in your hands, and if it's necessary or required, you can contribute them into, consup- into super and they're not considered, um, they're excluded from that non-concessional contributions cap. My understanding is that means they they are taxed very nicely and sweetly in the super fund. Okay, so I guess to wrap that particular point up in, you know, I guess a tight uh, nutshell, what it means is that small business owners out there, when they've made a capital gain in their small business and they they meet those criteria, they are then provided with additional sweeteners when they actually realise that asset um, exactly. and realise the capital gain, and by putting it into super, they get additional tax benefit for doing so. Correct. That's right. It can be taxed concessionally in the fund, essentially. That, that's what if, – if they are required, it's some uh, – one of the concessions requires you in certain circumstances to contribute your gain to super. In other cases, you can take it in your hot little hand or the money and then decide to contribute to super. But if it is contributed into super, that is – that is the additional concession. And again, like everything, there's an historical reason for this. When the Howard Costello government introduced these measures in the late 1990s, I think, they were very adamant they wanted to help small business, both in terms of exempting gains made from carrying on a small business and then encouraging them to put it into their super if needed or, or chosen. And, and I guess that's one of the added benefits for the toil that small business owners and uh, get, having run my own business for a number of years now, it, it's that nice, I guess, reward at the end of the, the rainbow that you know, when you do cash out and uh, one of the aspects, another terminology that's used quite a lot with superannuation and small business owners is business real property. And so, you know, when people buy a, a piece of property for use in their business uh, via their super fund, the capital gains that are made from that business real property then also benefit from some of these concessions. Isn't that right? I won't tread into that I- area. It gets, a bit <laughs> okay. more complex in the, it gets a bit more complex in the super funds. But look, uh, um, 
I won't, I, I won't um, tread into that area at the moment, Ray. I'll, I'll come back to any inquiries you have from your listeners if you want, but because it's just... No, no, that, that, that's fine. Yeah, it all can I'm, be, yeah. I might throw that one back towards Natasha Panagis, who's yeah. this, our superannuation expert from IFRA, but I, I know my own reading tells me that business real property that's bought within a superannuation trust, and that's what SMSFs, a lot of SMSFs are set up by small business owners specifically to do that. And you know, one of the, those excellent benefits that you get from investing in yourself then becomes that, that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that uh, has been set up and maintained uh, regardless of changes of government. So, look, we're well, just about due so for a, a short break. Yeah, sorry, Ray, just to um, reiterate, I, I just want to stray into an area that I may make a statement that's misleading because I tend to concentrate on the small business concessions per se, independently of superannuation con consequences. And, and that's totally fine. That's totally fine. So, look, uh, it's time for a short break here on Dollars and Making Sense. Um, I'm Ray Treveson, and I'm here with Kirk Wilson from the Institute of Financial Professionals Australia, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, and thank you for listening to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly radio program about finance, money and investing on Radio Northern Beaches and nationally on the community radio network around Australia. The views, comments and opinions aired during our program should not be construed or viewed as financial advice. Any commentary is general advice only and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. You should consider whether the advice is suitable for you and your personal circumstances. If in doubt, you should contact an authorised licensed financial planner. We welcome questions and feedback and you can get in touch with us via our blog, social media channels or email. Please search for Dollars and Making Sense in your favourite podcast platform or check out our blog at otgcapital.com.au forward slash blog. And welcome back, listeners, to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Treveson from OTG Capital, and with me at the microphone today is Kirk Wilson from the Institute of Financial Professionals Australia, and we are talking capital gains tax in the small business arena. Now, before we went to the break, Kirk, we were talking about some of these concessions. So once you've gone through the, the rigmarole of actually uh, 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 I guess being eligible for these concessions. What are some of the uh, what are some of the generous concessions that are available? That's the that's the key point, right? Once you get in the gate of being eligible, there's four concessions that are available to you yeah. to use either individually or in conjunction with, with with each other. And probably the primary one, or it's not the one that probably comes. Not the most, but the primary one is what they call the 15-year exemption. And subject to satisfying a range of conditions, namely that you've held the asset for more than 15 years, it's been used as an active asset for seven and a half years at least, the capital gain you make from this particular asset, regardless of its size, it can, there's no limit on the amount of gain, you can take it totally tax-free. And furthermore, you don't have to do the thing that you're required to do with the other concessions is apply any of your personal losses against it. It is a wonderful concession. And it's, again, part of that ethos. If you've worked hard enough in your business for 15 or more years and you've used an asset asset in it or or, or carried on the business for more than seven and a half years, well, then you deserve the full benefit. And that is a very nice benefit. You can take it all cash in hand, which is lovely, tax-free, regardless of the size of the gain. But it is subject to 
the conditions of the main conditions of eligibility and also the owning the asset for more than seven and a half years, uh, more than 15 years and using it for seven and a half years in your, your business as a minimum. And also the sale of that asset, here's, the, here's a big trick, the sale or disposal of that asset has got to take place in circumstances where you are 55 or over and you are retiring in connection with the sale of, of that, that asset. Now, it begs of the, you know, the million-dollar question of what does it mean to retire in connection with that, uh, the sale of that asset. Those phrases are interpreted broadly. It doesn't mean one follow retirement automatically follows the um, sale of the asset, but it essentially means you're getting out of that business. Furthermore, in connection, it's got to be seen as the sale is connected with that decision to get out of that business and not for other reasons. Generally speaking, most people who've held an asset for that long, sell at that stage, are getting out of that business. But it doesn't prevent you from then taking up the job at Bunnings or something. <laughs> okay. Now, well, that was going to be my question because, for example, I'm turning 63 later this year. And so from that perspective, I've got a, a certain view about how much longer I want to work. But I've had a, a business, for example, in the IT space that I'm, I'm hoping to sell as, a, as an ongoing concern, but I'm not going to be involved in that any longer. So theoretically, I could sell that asset, being the company, make a capital gain and tax those uh, and get those benefits and then go off and doing what I'm doing right now, for example, with my radio show and my fund and, and everything else I'm doing in the finance game. The best thing I can do answer your or, or deal with that issue, Ray, is just a quote from the ATO website and what they mean by retirement in this, these circumstances. There would uh -huh. need to be at least a significant reduction in the number of hours the individual works or a significant change in the nature of their present activities to be for to be regarded as retirement. However, it isn't necessary for there to be a permanent and everlasting retirement from the workforce. I think those are the key <laughs> words. It isn't necessary. Perm permanent and everlasting. Permanent. What, well, that's I know, actually that on the side, is it? It is. It, it implies that uh, you're you're quitting the job because <laughs> you're going to another place and and not an earthly place. <laughs> Permanent and everlasting. I, I got to tell you, a, a number of years back when uh, I was in the IT game and people were looking at me going, oh, look, you're too old. You're older than my father. I don't want to hire you in the IT game any longer. It's like, ouch, that, that hurt a little bit. And so uh, I think I was being given the message to move on big time. So there you go. So look, let's oh, Ray, move on a little bit. You say you, you sell your company. Well, there are two, two ways you can can qualify for the small business concessions there. The company can sell its assets and make a capital gain, and the company can qualify for these concessions, subject to meeting a range of conditions and making a payment out of that company into the hands of the controller, you know, as mm -hmm. long as it's a small... Alternatively, you can decide to sell the shares in the company, and in certain circumstances, those shares will likewise be treated as active assets, and the capital gain you make on those shares can qualify at, for the small business concessions. So there's two, where you've got a company involved or a trust, a unit trust, you can either have the small business concessions operating at the entity level, the company or the trust, or the controller level at, in respect to the sale of the shares or the sale of the units instead of the company selling the assets. Now, there are a lot of commercial and business reasons for doing one way or the other, but suffice to say, for your listeners' purposes, you can still grab the concessions subject to meeting a bit, a few more hoops to jump through, either at the shareholder level or the company level. 
or the unit holder level or at the unit trust level. Okay, thanks for that clarity. So let's move on. I, I read here in the in the backup notes as well a small business retirement exemption where it talks about capital gains from the disposal of these active assets are exempt from CVGT up to a lifetime limit of half a million dollars. Can you explain to the listeners what that's about? Okay, the first point to make, Ray, is that everybody thinks, oh, I'm back into this retirement requirement. Well, it's a this concession, this retirement concession is a bit badly named. What it really means is if you're under 55 at the time you make this capital gain from this small business asset, then that capital gain must be paid into a super fund. It can't go into your red hot little hand. But ah. if you're 55 or over, you can take a cash free, walk down to the casino and put it on red or whatever. And or put <laughs> it to the bank. There are again, if you're under 55, there's a few things you can do to just wait and make sure that you can take the gain as a in a tax-free form in your own hands when you're 55 or not. You can legitimately use what they call the small business rollover in those concessions to defer the gain for a couple of years. So you may be 53 at the time you want to apply the retirement exemption, but you can use the rollover. And if you don't buy a replacement asset within that two years, then they reinstate the gain. And by that time, you might be 55 or over and can use the retirement exemption to take it all cash-free in your hands. That's just a little planning thing, but it's not a big planning thing because it's just a standard way the the concessions were, or maybe not originally written, but how they were being amended over the years or dealt with over the years. Now, the other thing to understand about the retirement exemption, that $500,000 limit, $500,000 worth of capital gain is the maximum lifetime amount you can use the retirement exemption for. You can't you can't keep on using five hundred thousand each time you, you you set up a business, and and it's a it's a it's a limit. But guess what? The concessions work very nice with each other. There's another concession there called the fifty percent reduction. So you might be over the five hundred thousand dollar limit, but by the time you've mm-hmm. applied the fifty percent reduction, you're under it. So these concessions work extremely well. And 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 to be honest, the original design features were that you apply them successively to so that you can essentially eliminate your entire gain if the if you don't qualify for the 15 year exemption or at least defer it it's it's a beautiful it was a very nicely designed mechanism in effect it allowed you to make a capital gain of 2 million bucks and eliminate it all because there's another principle here and it'll probably start getting a bit of um get a bit of run in the press given that the the treasurer seems very keen to look at some tax incentives and to to rein them in a bit, but you also can use that 50% or you must use that 50% discount to reduce your gains before you apply the concession. So you make a $100 gain, you use the discount, it's 50. You use the 50, the further concession in the business concessions, it's 25. And you can use the retirement exemption in respect of the remaining 25 to eliminate that capital gain. Very nice. So, So using these concessions in concession, you have a choice to do so or the way you do so, generally speaking, you can basically eliminate a pretty large capital gain. I guess in in summation, Kirk, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, benefit here to, to, through a little bit of education. In your general experience, what do you think, you know, do, do you feel that many small business owners that are in, you know, really coming up to this phase of their life, do you think they're fully aware of some of these concessions? Because certainly some of the, the hyperbole that comes about whenever the tax code gets changed, 
I wonder sometimes whether that's from a point of ignorance or simply clickbait that I see online. Do you see that the vast majority of small business owners are really in tune with these concessions? Because certainly no, for mine, no. some of I these suspect, are news to me. So I suspect not, right? And it's the reason why you hopefully got a good accountant or advisor to, to, to speak to, because certainly as you're nearing the idea or thinking about realising the asset, you need to there's some planning that can be done. In fact, there's even planning done can be done obviously at the very beginning the way you structure your business so to maximise the ability to use these concessions. So again, once again, that that well-informed advisor is invaluable both at the start of your setting up a business, what's the best structure to access these concessions, and as you get towards retirement, what what's the best or or you get towards the decision to sell it? What is the best way to do this? How do we start thinking about this? And just a simple example, for example, is uh, I had an inquiry a, a while back about somebody who was close to that. They owned the farm for more than 15 years and they were close to that seven-and-a-half-year use. And, but they weren't mm -hmm. sure whether they were. Well, instead of finding a tax solution, I just said to them, how old are the, um, is the owner of the farm? And uh, he said he's about 38. Well, I, I said to him, well, tell him to get back on the horse for another couple of years to make sure he gets that, hits that seven and a half year, seven and a half year mark, just to make sure, you know? And, he, and he said, it's not as if he was 65 with a broken back or something. He was only 38. He can, he can play a few more fields. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious so look one of the I, I guess the way i like to wrap up uh the shows is you know we provide the education so you know what's the the next step so i see here in the notes applying the small business cgt concession so i guess the first thing you've got to do is actually find out if you're eligible i i, I would suggest absolutely absolutely and as i said they're invaluable if you're starting up a business See your, see your advisor first because just so you can arrange things in a way to be eligible. So, yes, that's correct, very correct, right? That the eligibility is the key issue. Okay, so resources. Let's think about resources that be, where people can go. So, first of all, I direct them to your website, ifpa.com.au, obviously the ATO website, ato.gov.au. Would places like Money Smart have kind of this kind of information or that's more small business rather than personal, isn't it? I, I, I suspect so. The, the interesting thing on all this, Ray, they are complex provisions. They are very extraordinarily generous, but they are complex. And um, I remember a partner in a big tax firm in Sydney once saying, well, using them is like taking a walk through the bush and never being able to find the same path twice. And he's sort of right. <laughs> no, it's, it was, no, but at the time I read it, he's dead right. Yet you, you really get two questions that have the same sort of outcome or scenario. And so I would say the third and most important one in all of this is face-to-face -face with your professional advisor is invaluable. Great advice, great advice. So, Kirk, look, thank you so kindly for being on Dollars and Making Sense. And thank you, listeners, for being here and listening to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly program about finance, money and investing on Radio Northern Beaches and nationally on the Community Radio Network around Australia. We welcome questions and feedback, and you can get in touch with us via our blog, social media channels or email. Please search for us on the internet or check out our blogs. And Kirk, thank you very kindly. And until next week, it's adios. Adios.